0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Webcast, Alternative Method Procedures, a key element of your lockout program, sponsored by Brady Software and Services. My name is Kevin Droolli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I'll be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organizations are their own. and do not necessarily re- reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we may not get to each one. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to submit a brief evaluation survey, which we'll co- discuss further when the pres- presentation has concluded. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. And just a note, that's the word AND, A-N-D, d, in between safety and health, and not uh, an ampersand. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Scott Stone. Scott brings more than 15 years of experience as a safety professional, and his expertise includes building safety management systems and inspection and auditing processes. Scott is a certified Six Sigma black belt for advanced statistical and problem-solving techniques to improve effectiveness and efficiency. Again, we thank all of you for tuning in today. And Scott, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about alternative methods and uh, and I guess some best practices that I've come across during my career, you know as a as a states professionals. Many companies you know struggle uh, with alternative procedures and and many times you know they might end up leaving their employees at, a, at an increased risk level because they they, they fully don't understand them or, or I guess really just don't take the time uh, to address them you know in my career I, I've personally struggled with tasks you know that, that certain operators and uh, and maintenance professionals um, you know get into you know when they when they don't fully and you know, when, when they can't fully, lock out a piece of equipment for whatever reason, you know, it might be, and then determining, you know, the, the best way to to ensure their safety. All right, next slide, okay, so here, here's my agenda, I'll start with a little discussion on the, the applicability of uh, you know of, of these alternative procedures and, and really how they fit into you know the lockout standard 1910.147. That talk a little bit about the, the lockout equipment specific procedures, so the zero energy state procedures. I'll spend a little time on those and talk about some shortcomings and then uh, and then really the, the shortcomings as they relate to some of the alternate uh, procedures that' I'll, that I'll be discussing. And then I'll spend the rest of the presentation. Uh, really focused on uh, the the alternate alternative procedures. So, but before I get into this, um, I, I do wanna call something out. It's a great resource to make sure everyone's aware. Um, it's a resource that, that I use extensively. Of course, we're always referring back to, uh, you know, the, the OSHA standard 1910.147 machine guarding, you know, it's very closely uh, related to this. Um, but there is uh, another resource that, that, that I refer to quite often, and that's a, an OSHA directive, um, and it's an OSHA directive. The number is uh, CPL 02-00-147. Again, CPL. 02-00-147, and uh, th- this is a, a directive or a manual that establishes OSHA's, really their enforcement policy for its standards addressing uh, the control of hazardous energy, you know, and it instructs their their compliance officers, you know, on the, the, the agency's interpretations you know of those standards and the procedures for enforcing them so it kind of goes through all the stuff kind of puts some of uh, some of the stuff in plain language gives really good examples and pulls in all the different uh material that's kind of scattered out there including the the interpretation so I, I highly recommend that um as a as a resource just as a guideline that you can go back and uh, and refer to it's been very very helpful to me okay so let's start the discussion on the on the lockout standard the the lockout standard addresses you know the safety of employees engaged in servicing and maintenance activities in general industry workplaces. Um, the core of the standard you know which permits employees to service equipment safely is the the shutdown and deenergization of the equipment and the isolation of those energy sources, and then you know locking them out locking and, and tagging them out so they they stay and they're under the personal control of that, uh, that authorized employee. You know, this is accomplished by following the energy control procedures, which I'll touch on uh, briefly here next. But uh, servicing and maintenance, which takes place during normal production operations, is covered by the standard if an employee require, is required to remove or bypass a guard or another safety device um, or an employee is required to place any part, any part of their their body, you know, into the you know the the, the point of operation, or it, uh, anywhere where there's another associated danger zone that exists during that uh, that machine's operating an operating cycle. Now OSHA does recognize uh, circumstances in which you know some discrete servicing and maintenance activities, you know, are going to be performed. Without locking out the machinery or equipment, the first one that I'll discuss here is uh, is minor servicing. OSHA defines minor servicing as minor tool changes and adjustments and, and other minor activities which which take place during normal uh, you know production operations. Um, so you know they're not covered you know if they meet that that minor servicing standard. If they are considered routine repetitive and integral to the use of the equipment for production, uh, provided that the work is performed using, and this is where they bring in those alternate uh, alternate, uh, alternative procedures, you know, provided that the work is performed using alternative measures which provide effective protection. Um, and what is effective protection? A lot of times that's where we start talking about machine guarding. So part O, and we'll talk about that uh, here in a little bit. It does not say uh, that you don't have to do anything. You know, if you meet minor servicing, you can do whatever you want. Um, You know, you still have to have, provide adequate protection uh, to those employees, and those adequate protections are known as those alternative measures. The second one that I want to touch on there at the bottom of the slide is testing and positioning. You know, OSHA recognizes that you know lockout devices you know often must be uh, temporarily removed you know for periods of time to permit you know testing or positioning. So you know a, a maintenance professional might be into a job and uh, you know they need to check to see whatever work that they're doing is actually working. So uh, they need to re-energize that uh, that piece of equipment. And OSHA in in the in the standard it, it outlines. You know the, the different steps that need to be followed. Um, uh, you know for those uh, for those employees that are going to uh, test and position. The standard does not allow uh, the employer or the employee to disregard the requirement for lockout. You know before you know or after you know that testing and positioning um, testing and positioning. Um, however, em- employers must provide and th- those employees working on the job you know, adequate protection when it's not possible to remove an employee from the danger area. So, when you read the standard and all that, you need to uh, remove, you know, yourself from that uh, that that danger area when you are testing and positioning. Uh, but they also provide, you know, a little guidance on when it is not feasible, where they cannot completely remove themselves from that area, they still have to provide adequate protection uh, you know, from that hazard while testing and positioning. So, fixed guarding, uh, different um, things that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but you just can't put an employee at risk. That's plain and simple. Whatever that employee is doing, they cannot be exposed to hazardous energy. They have to be protected. And the third, the, the last bullet there, I kind of threw it in as other activities when uh when when lockout is not feasible and this is kind of where it gets a little muddy and and uh and a little gray but uh you know some activities properly you know are are classified as servicing and our maintenance under the the OSHA definition uh but they're minor in nature and performed during normal production operations so operations uh such as lubricating draining uh, sumps, servicing filters, you know, making simple adjustments, you know, maybe inspecting for leaks and or, uh, you know, and maybe malfunction while the, the piece of the equipment is uh, is running. You know, those are some examples of routine servicing and maintenance activities, which often can be accomplished safely, um, you know, with effective production uh, type mode safeguards um, and those safeguards, uh, you know, referring to as, you know, machine guarding. Uh, Approved machine guarding safeguards. You know these services do not require uh, extensive uh, disassembly. You know by the uh, of the machinery or equipment. You know there's a level. Once you start, you know getting your tools out, you start digging in the piece of a uh, of equipment. All bets um, all bets are off there. So the, the lockout standard and and other general industry standards. You know they're they're intended to, to I guess to supplement. Um, each other. Again, like, uh, like machine guarding, that can be used, you know, as an effective alternative to lockout, uh, you know, if the, those alternative measures eliminates employee exposure to uh, the hazardous energy. You know, as a general principle, the, the lockout standard uh, does not apply to servicing and maintenance activities when employees are not exposed to hazardous energy. Uh, you know, and there's, you know, many different ways that, uh, you know, employees can be protected from, you know, uh, workplace injuries and fatalities. And, you know, number one, always, uh, if it can be done, you know, when it out, lock it out. Um, you know, if, uh, if there is no reason to, to not lock it out, I mean, lock the, lock the piece of equipment out. Uh, the other, you complying with the minor servicing exception, uh, which we'll talk about um and effective machine guarding you know in compliance with uh with subpart o that prevents that uh that employee exposure all right just uh briefly you know lockout procedures just to kind of bring this in into the mix you know osha requires that procedures be uh developed and documented for the control of potentially hazardous energy so these are the Equipment-specific procedures, or you call them zero-energy state procedures. Uh, you know, lockout procedures. A lot of different, uh, a lot of different names uh, um, for these procedures. And of course, there's exceptions. You know, within the standard, when you don't need these these procedures, but that's really not the intent of of my, my of my presentation today. So here's an example of a machine-specific uh, lockout procedure. You know, these procedures are are critical for, you know, the safety of the worker, They're critical for the, the safety of the authorized employee that's performing the work on, on that uh, that piece of equipment. Without procedures, workers run the risk of, you know, skipping steps during um, the lockout process. You know, it gives them the, the, the roadmap, the guidelines, the information, um, you know, it could lead to skipping steps, like I said, and, and lead to, you know, a serious incident, you know, serious accident, injury, you know, Even fatality, you know, there's a lot of, you know, very bad, you know, injuries and fatalities that have occurred, you know, that occur all the time because it related to lock tag out. But, you know, having, you know, these procedures, you know, isn't isn't enough. Yes. You know, they need to be visually intuitive, step by step, you know, make them you know easy to, you know, to understand for the authorized workforce. Talk a little bit about that. But. It's very important that they be machine and task specific. And that's kind of where I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about is the task specific piece. Um, This is where many companies run into problems. Uh, You know, the procedures address, uh, like the one that you see here on the screen, you know, they, they address and provide instruction for you know, full lockout, tagout, they're, you know, they're they're providing instruction for, you know, bringing it down to a zero energy state, locking everything out and, uh, and you know, th- everything. So it's at a zero energy state, um, but nothing exists for, you know, alternative methods. Um, what about the work where they interact with the equipment where you're not bringing it down to a zero energy state? Um, many times though, you know, there are protection measures in place and there are followed they're just not documented um, and then maybe not being documented and maybe not being validated. And since I have you here, uh, I can't pass up an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about some common failures with you know procedures themselves and then uh, then I'll, I'll get on with it um, after this, uh, but also you know tie it into the, the alternate uh, methods here a little bit. but they you know they, they are related. Um, so I do want to spend some time on it. Some, some common failures that uh, definitely I've seen uh, with, with lockout procedures. Um, I get out in industry quite a bit and review uh, a lot of different uh, programs. But uh, generic procedures, you know, is, uh, is a big one, um, you know, either from a, a, a full uh, lockout procedure to an alternative procedure, but very generic. You know, adding a statement in the uh, preventative maintenance, uh, you know, work order, you know, saying, hey, lock equipment out um you know while it's a great reminder you know it doesn't provide you know enough enough information or you know just listing the the basic you know osha regulatory version you know for you know shut down and start up you know listing the basic steps but not specific to the equipment out-of-date procedures this is a a huge one you know sustainability and and all those things when equipment moves or it's modified um you know things change uh, not having an adequate um, review process in place is uh is a is a big failure and again this is you know with with any procedure that might be out there that uh, that you're utilizing omitting energy sources you know missing the the stored energy or the residual energy and uh, and how to control it is a big one um, overly complicated. I've seen some procedures, you know, for a pretty, you know, simplistic piece of equipment with, you know, maybe a, a you know, a couple electrical pneumatic energy sources, you know, and it's a five-page, um, a five-page, five-page document, you know. Christmas is coming up, you know, I got small kids and I think we, uh, many of us have, uh, you know, had that gift that we had to put together that, uh, you know, you about wanted to pull your hair out uh, because the, uh, the instructions were, you know, maybe too detailed and then also maybe too detailed, but uh, uh, maybe, you know, missing some steps and uh, and things like that, you know, it, it makes you not want to use that instructional guide and you're going to figure it out on your own um, type of thing. So, you know, although, you know, seemingly thorough, uh, you know, the ones that are too complicated and, and difficult to understand, you know, it, it's going to make those employees not want to follow it. Um, you, you have to make it more convenient um, for them and it, something that you can, uh, you can train to um, awesome. Uh, also, not readily available, you know, procedures. I don't care if you're talking about alternative procedures, uh, full lockout procedures, they have to be readily available, uh, you know, to to that worker that's going to be utilizing them. You know, what does readily available mean? You know, close proximity to the equipment that they need to lock out or that equipment that they have to uh, perform minor servicing on or whatever that means, uh, whatever uh, interaction they have with that piece of equipment, um, you know, it has to be readily available um, to them so they can utilize it. You know, when they can't find, you know, the the, the procedures, you know, they, they sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll proceed uh, without them, um, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's very common um, out there. You know, I, I see it all the time for, you know, different procedures and things, you know, companies spend all the time and effort to go through the process to develop them and then they end up in a binder in the, the back of the maintenance shop or they end up on a shared drive somewhere and you ask, hey, you know, where are your procedures? And oh my God, well, we used to have them, you know, and, and uh, you know, they have to be out, they have to be readily available. Um, lack of verification steps, you know, pretty, uh, pretty self-explanatory uh, w- with that one and then not listing lockout devices. Um I'll be focusing the rest of the presentation uh really on the last bullet. Um, you know, many companies are, you know, they're focused on, like I said before, the, the zero energy procedures and not focused on those other tasks, you know, that that put employees at risk and require an alternative procedure. Um, you know, these tasks include you know, minor servicing that we talked about, testing and positioning, those other activities where um where full lockout is uh you know might not might not be feasible so uh, alternative procedures so we're going to start uh talking about uh, these a bit you know when full lockout is not achievable uh achievable alternative procedures must be provided that in, it ensures uh employee safety and uh you know the level of protection must provide the same level of protection as uh, as full lockout so I, again i reviewed many many programs out in the industry and uh, while there is a big gap with, you know, the, the, the lockout procedure, the zero energy state procedures, you know, I've seen a much bigger gap with the alternative method um, procedures. It's very common for companies to just accept certain activities as minor servicing uh, without going through the, the correct process and to validate to ensure that they have the right safety measures in place Uh, you know, to protect those employees, Um, you know, without doing that, they can unknowingly um, put employees uh, at risk. There are also many behavior challenges that, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, I need to talk about, you know, with, uh, um, you know, lockout itself and and definitely, you know, challenges as they, uh, as they relate to um, alternative procedures. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I hear and and, and something as a, as a safety professional kind of makes you cringe, Every, every time you hear it, it's the, uh, well, we've always done it this way, you know, the, the we've always done it this way mentality. I've always reached into that part of the machine to adjust this or that, you know, or I always just use an interlock guard to perform maintenance on, uh, on this piece of equipment. Um, you know, this is the way we've, we've always done it. We got to keep, you know, production going or whatever it might be. You know, this is a, it's a big red flag. Um, you know, I haven't been hurt yet, so it must be okay. You know, I've done it a thousand times. I've, I've done it for years. Just because it's always been done that way does not mean it's it's the right way. Sometimes this type of mentality can be hard to change, mean very difficult to, to change because it, it might be accepted for, you know, a, a, a long period uh, a long period of time, years, decades. Um, You know, but it shouldn't take a significant event to take to take a deep look, you know, at uh, your internal processes to identify those gaps and, uh, you know, or that that at risk behavior. But, you know, when it becomes accepted, it it gets passed down to to new employees. And again, it just becomes very hard to uh, to change. We don't have the time, you know, is another one takes too long to do it the right way. How do you expect us to make any money? Um, You know, a lot of times alternative procedures that, you know, we're going to talk about, they can definitely aid in that, you know, where you can use them to, to, to help with that, you know, utilize them, use them, you know, there are situations where you don't have to lock the machine up, but those situations where you should be locking the machines up or maybe you don't have the right protective measures in place, those have to be identified and you can't use the excuse uh, that it that it takes too long. You know, you get someone killed, and and that would have took an extra five minutes. Um, that that's not not going to fly. I don't think you ever want to put yourself in uh, in that situation. An employer who requires employees to perform um, servicing or maintenance while while a machine um, is operating in the production mode it has to provide that employee protection. Um, again, operations like lubricating, uh, draining uh, sumps, servicing filters. Uh, making simple adjustments, inspecting for leaks or malfunction. You know, again, these are these are examples of things that that you know have to be done in a production mode for whatever reason. Again, we'll talk about the validation, the feasibility, and all that stuff. Um, but a lot of times, they can be accomplished with those effective uh, effective safeguarding. Uh, all right, next slide. All right. So, what's the the process for um, you know getting into alternative procedures and and kind of kind of where do you um, where where do you start? Um, that's kind of the list that I, that I have that I have up here. Um, you know, the first thing start with an initial task inventory.
0: You know, this
1: is a another common uh, mistake, and uh, it's not fully understanding the task that your employees engage uh, in on a On a daily weekly a monthly basis, how are they interacting with uh, with that with that piece of equipment? You know you need to understand that um, uh, in order to ensure that they are adequately protective you know uh, are you leaving it up to the operator to determine if the task requires lockout or the maintenance guy you know I was in a, a facility here uh, a, a couple of months ago, and that, I mean, that's what it was. Sometimes they, they locked out rarely. Um, other times, you know, they relied on interlock guards actually going into the machine where they didn't have control of, of the interlock and utilizing that for lockout tagout. But it was really up to, you know, the, the the maintenance professional to determine, hey, do I, should I lock it out or not? And most of the time they were going towards not locking it out. Uh, because it uh, save them uh, save them time, but th- they never went through the the process to identify you know what are these tasks that they're doing, um, but so you have to do your due diligence here um, to make sure that uh, that you're you're identifying those tasks. So you have to start with an initial task inventory. This is a, a full review of uh, how your employees are interacting with the equipment. Determine what pieces of equipment you know. Needs an alternative method procedure. These tasks include, you know, all the minor servicing tasks where, you know, currently your employees are relying on some type of machine guarding to interact with the equipment, or maybe they're not currently uh, uh, relying on machine guarding, but they're still interacting uh, with the with the equipment. But those situations where they're not locking out um, those uh, th- that piece of equipment in maintenance, you know, with their their minor tasks that they do to uh, support production. You know, a lot of times in minor servicing, you focus heavily on the, the operators and only the operators, but a lot of times the maintenance organization, they're just not coming in there, you know, to do the major repairs, the stuff that would require full lockout. But there, you know, can be a support function where a lot of their day is focused on, you know, keeping the machine running in production mode, um, which requires some of those minor tasks, um, you know, that, uh, that, that could meet that minor servicing uh, I- exemption. Um, get the right people involved. You know the the subject matter experts are key. Uh, those that are familiar with the equipment and the energy sources involved. You know I, I've been out. I've written you know procedures and and helped with uh, you know minor servicing and and things like that. But I'm I've never been the expert on the on the equipment. You know that that I'm looking at. I always pull in you know those uh, the team the operators maintenance the supervisors. They're the ones that know. Um, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's going on and how they're interacting with, uh, with those pieces of equipment. So, very, very important, uh, you know, to make sure that, uh, that you get, you get help and you really get the right people involved um, as you start this. And then I'm going to talk about here these, these next uh, uh, bullets, I'm going to give them their their own slide here. So, uh, justification study. So, I, I refer a lot to uh, the ANSI AS, ASSE Z244.1. They have a new draft, uh, 2016, uh, that's getting ready to, to to come out. And I also utilize the, the, the older one uh, that they had, but uh, a fantastic, uh, fantastic resource. They spent a lot of time and a, and a lot of effort really focused on Alternative measures, and they get into great detail, great detail, much more detail than I'm gonna I'm gonna get in here the, today um, with you. But another great resource, Z244.1. Point, uh, point one. But one of the things that it has in there uh, is what's called a justification study. So once you've identified your task, it's time to do. A, you know, this study. Um, and uh, this is a, a uh, you know, a, a full review, um, you know, of the tasks that you identified from going out and, and uh, seeing how your employees interact uh, with the machine. But it's reviewing those tasks for the things that you see up there on the screen, the frequency, who's exposed, the level of risk, the impact of locking out. Meaning, if I lock this out, we're going to lose $3 million worth of product that is in process right now. Or we lock this out, you know, what's the impact? You know, if there is no impact, Hey, if we lock it out, you know, nothing, you know, then lock it out. Uh, you know, that's, it's what it's going to come down to, but it's going to you look at the, the impact. You need to look at the, the impact, you know, what are you going to do to minimize exposure? What are some potential alternative methods, um, that can be used and they could already be in place we're going to talk through some of that stuff and the results is uh the, the end game a decision to either to either use lockout or to move further down the alternative protective uh alternative uh protective measure so an alternative procedure um so that's kind of the end game of the justification study a go uh no go type thing so the bottom line if it can't be done safely Uh, without exposure to hazardous energy, it has to be locked out. There's no procedure for exposing employees to a risk. Um, You know, some questions that, you know, you're going to ask during uh, the uh, justification study, you know, does a task require the removal of guards, Uh, you know, um, you know, in there? uh, Does the person need to place any body part into, um, you know, a pinch point, crushing, entrapment, you know, it could result in an amputation. Is the person performing the task working alone, you know, and in and, and, uh, an exclusive control of the, you know, the, the interlock to start, stop, switch, things like that, um, you know, to, to see if it uh, if it is viable. So those are the types of questions uh, that you're going to see in that justification study.
0: If the results
1: of the, the justification study show that lockout is a um, viable option, then lockout is going to be used. Plain and simple. Um, if the results indicate that lockout is not feasible, um, or uh, you know that an alternative can be, uh, be can be used, um, it could be suitable. Then further analysis, you know, is going to be uh, performed to determine the alternate measures provide adequate protection. Um, so you just can't say yes. We're not going to use lockout. We're going to use an alternate procedure, and we're going to use that interlock gate. You have to go through a risk assessment process to go through to validate that, to ensure that it is providing the, uh, the appropriate level um, of safety for the, for the employee. So um, there are many different methods of conducting a, a, a risk analysis or risk assessment. You know, I'll be talking about one, um, you know, just as an example, a job safety analysis. Uh, you know, many of you, uh, you know, safety practitioners um, and others, you know, should be very familiar with um, with the the job safety analysis, so uh, I'm going to talk a little bit a uh, little bit about that. But you're going to you're going to start with that that list that you obtained through the justification study. And then you can also prioritize that list um, based on risk. You might have jobs that you know, uh, present a higher level of risk to the employees that you're gonna wanna focus on that first. Or you might wanna focus on the jobs that have the highest exposure hours or the the jobs that um, have a, a history of incidents or, or near misses, near, near hits, whatever you call them um, on that job. And, and you can start there. And the last bullet I, I put in here just so you don't lose focus, you know, your process also needs to address those non-routine uh, tasks that arise, you know, during um, during a job. You know, a lot of times where, you know, maintenance is uh, is, is working on stuff or the job migrates or whatever, situations where lockout is not feasible, you know, they, they need to be reviewed. Um, you know, anytime something pops up, there needs to be, hey, stop, hold on. You know, we need to get the, a group out here. We need to make sure, uh, one, if it can't be locked out for whatever reason, that you make sure that you have... Um, an alternate procedure in place before jumping into that job. So even those non-routines, those things that pop up, um, still apply uh, in this uh, in this case. So uh, job safety analysis, you know, widely used and accepted tool used to uh, you know evaluate tasks. Um, so we have our lists. You know, we're going to start going through this. And and what a JSA does, job safety analysis, it evaluates each step, you know, in a task for potential, you know, risk based on severity, uh, probability, you know, of, uh, you know, how severe or, or the probability of uh, of, uh, of that happening, likelihood. Um, and then really, it's looking at a job to identify the hazards um, and to really uh, reduce those hazards to an acceptable level by putting safety measures in place. Uh, To make sure that those employees are appropriately protected Uh, the result of uh, the the end game the output of a JSA Is a a safe job procedure and and for the discussion today the output will be an alternative uh, Procedure for those uh, for those employees So to reap the the most most benefits to get the most um, out of a out of a JSA you know it it has to be a uh you know a, a team effort again it needs to be a, a team and you can see who's listed there on the on the on the second bull, but people that are you know very very familiar uh you know with whatever task that uh, that you're looking at and you have to make sure that everyone understands the reasoning why you're going through this. And, uh, you know, they, they need to be very open and honest. You know, what's truly happening? You know, I can go out and talk to maintenance guys who are sitting in a conference room. Hey, when you work on this piece of equipment or walk out to a job, you know, how, how do you protect yourself? You know, oh, I lock it out, right? Well, then you get down a little further and you, you actually go out and observe some people work and then you find out they're not locking it out. You know, they're you know doing something else. You got to make sure that uh, you, you, need to, you need to find out what's truly happening with those jobs. But getting those experienced, that well-rounded group together um, that includes those subject matter experts it includes safety you know maintenance uh you know supervision that, that that those folks that uh you know that that can have all the input to really identify what's going on uh for the uh, you know about the job helps with communication uh you know among the, the workers and supervisors and definitely Promotes buy-in. So if you're going to be changing the way someone does a, a job or, or implementing a new process, again, this is all about improving safety and a lot of times alternative measures, you know, are, are going to help make the job easier and, and uh, things like that. But any change, you know, it really when you involve uh, those employees, especially those frontline employees, that's going to get them, uh, you know, a higher level of buy in um, as you as you go down and, and make change benefits of uh, the, the JSA you know a uh, lot of a uh, lot of different things you see if they're not going to spend a lot of time on this um, but definitely a lot of benefits that come out of it especially when used to develop um, you know the the alternative methods you know it, it's going to it's going to be used to evaluate all the risk and hazards associated with the job looking at existing controls uh, control methods, you know, um, again, evaluating that risk, putting uh, new controls in there where risk is, is uh, deemed to be um, unacceptable, and then, again, the, the output of, uh, of an alternate, uh, alternate proce- alternative procedure. Um, but, uh, you know, also very valuable for, for training the employees when I, when I talk about the, the output of the alternative procedure, um, just a, a, a great tool um for for training a great tool to uh raise you know the the safety awareness for the for the employees so up here you see just a a, an example of a a job safety analysis probably not showing you anything new there's a ton of them um, out there Um, this is kind of one that uh, you know i've used uh in the past um, a lot of them look you know fairly similar to this. You know, again, uh, Z244.1, a, a great resource to go in there and look at their their risk assessment uh uh process in there. Very, very detailed, very, very good, but uh, a great resource. So you'll see on the on the left is the the principal steps for um for a job. This is where you're listing, you know, pick an operator, you'll know, interact with a piece of uh, equipment, you know, from the, the, the first step down to the last step. These are the kind of the, the basic uh, higher level steps. You don't want to get too detailed when you're uh listing these steps out or you're going to spend 5 weeks on uh, on one JSA. Normally you're you're talking, you know, 6 to 8, maybe 10 uh high level steps that uh that you're including on the job. A lot of times the the fewer uh the better. And then the second column, you're listing those potential hazards with, uh, with that step, maybe it's sprains and strains, cuts and lacerations, you know, chemical exposure, exposure to hazardous energy, uh, whatever that those hazards are, you're listing those hazards there. Third column, you're, you're listing those existing controls. Um, You know, what's currently in place, you know, from an alternative method standpoint, maybe there's an interlock gate um, uh, in place that an employee has to open to reach in to interact with a piece of equipment. Um, That would be an existing control. Um, Then you're going to uh, do an initial risk level. And, again, there's a lot of different ways to do this. This is just an example that I put up here. Um, uh, You look at your severity and then the likelihood or, or probability here on the left. So severity, you know, um, let's just pick one. Major may result in serious injury, illness, uh, with lost time, and it's uh, occasional, likely to occur sometime. You know, and, and that uh, that comes out to be uh, comes out to be a two. So that two goes back on that JSA, and anything over a one is deemed unacceptable. So. We're going to have to put final control measures in place to lower um, that risk down um, and again i'm not getting into um, you know uh, the, the the types of uh, guardings and controls and and things like that everything that's used as a control and especially with minor servicing and these alternate uh, alternative procedures uh, you know they have to be fully uh, you know compliant with any regulatory uh, uh, regulations or industry best practices um, with that. You just can't have anyone put in a uh, uh, put in an interlock switch, and and uh, you know it has to be definitely has to be um, up to code. So, uh, and again, I'm, that's not the point of this presentation, but I just want to make everyone aware of that. So, put a two in there, and then additional measures have to be taken. You do the uh, the analysis again and until it gets down to a, uh, to a one. And then that's kind of the basic, uh, the basic gist of, of, a, uh, of a job safety analysis. Again, I know that was really quick and, uh, and really, really high level there. Uh, but the control measures, you know, when, uh, you know, your existing control measures might be great. That, that, that's a tool to validate what you're currently doing is um, acceptable. When it's not, you know, when that control measure doesn't effectively reduce that risk, uh, then you have to put in, you know, new control measures. And then the hierarchy of controls, uh, again, you can see from the most effective down to the the least uh, effective there when we talk about c- uh, controls, you know, through the elimination, you know, of the, of the hazard itself. And then the one that you're going to be dealing with a lot when we're talking about uh, alternative methods and, and then the minor servicing and, and, uh, and all that is the, uh, the engineering controls. So the, the machine guarding, right? Um, you know, the, 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 the guarding that's compliant with uh, you know, OSHA subpart O, you know, and it prevents employees from placing their hands or, or body parts in the hazardous machine area or prevents or, or stops the hazardous motion of, uh, of the machine you know, if the employee is exposed to a hazard, you know, or the other one, um, you know, can uh, withdraw the operator's hands or body parts before the hazard exists. So, you know, things like barrier guards, uh, you know, two hand trip control devices, um, present sensing uh, safeguarding devices, pullback, uh, you know, or restraint devices, you know, the, the, the interlocks, uh, safety mat devices. So a lot of different uh, uh, things out there and those controls that you're gonna be identifying to help reduce that risk so those employees can safely interact with, uh, with that piece of equipment. Once that's done, you've identified it, you went through your task, uh, identified the risk and, and put in your, your control measures, uh, you're going to develop, uh, an alternative procedure. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, kind of the, the end game. This is a, another you know, I feel uh, a common failure that, that companies make, you know, they don't, uh, they don't take it to the next level by actually developing a procedure that employees can be trained on and they can work from easily. A lot of times it stops at that uh, the job safety analysis level and kind of the form that I showed you, uh, which lists the tasks and the hazards and lists the, uh, you know, the, the new control measures. And that, that does have its place. But I think you know companies definitely you know um, you know missed the boat on actually developing that formal procedure that walks them through how to safely uh, perform uh, perform that job. Here's an example, and again, it's a very rough uh, rough example of what an alternative uh, procedure might look like, similar to lockout procedures, but very task specific. Um, in this example, an employee needs to. Uh, a line of sheet and a palletizer by relying on an interlock gate, um, you know, this is the output of the, the job safety analysis. Uh, just like lockout procedures, they need to be readily available to, uh, to those utilizing them and, uh, you know, employees need to be, need to be trained, uh, trained on the, uh, the procedures themselves. And that brings me to uh, the, the training piece. Training is, is absolutely critical. With anything, uh, you know, that we're talking about, anything safety, uh, training is, uh, is just so, so dang important. Employees need to, you know, be fully trained on their job and how to, uh, how to safely perform their, their job in a specific task, especially when these alternative method procedures, um, you know, are, are in play, when they're interacting with different types of machine guarding, they're interacting with, uh, with the equipment. Um, you making sure that they understand that, hey, you're relying on this, on this guard or this barrier or whatever. That means you're relying on that. You have to have a personal control over you can't migrate into the machine and hop into the piece of equipment or perform, you know, uh, more maintenance. Those tasks have to be identified. This is the task that you can perform by, you know, relying on this, uh, you know, this protective measure. You know, those tasks have to be outline they have to be uh, understood that JHA is for that task that alternate procedure is for that task it does not mean that they can do anything they want with that piece of equipment it is it is that task specific common failures uh you know with training generic you know very you know especially with lockout alternative procedure you know they, they give a basic uh you know online or video or something like that it's not down to the task level that we're talking about the equipment level um it's generic you know they're just doing it to to check the box to say hey we got done you know you know at osha you know they're what are they looking for they're looking for employee understanding do uh you know does, does the does your workforce understand what they're supposed to what they're supposed to know they understand how to work safely do they understand you know the alternate procedure do they understand the guarding and what it's there for and how they interact with it and how they how they utilize it they're looking for that understanding they're going to go talk to those employees uh, you know, yeah, they're also probably going to look for training records and things like that. And sometimes that gets you by, but many times, no, they're looking for that understanding um, of, those, uh, of those employees. You know, some you know, best practices, you know, for training, especially for these alternative procedures. You know, new hire orientation. It starts from from day one, getting them, you know, completely ingrained and involved in in, in safety um, and making sure you have that as a component. But it's specific to their job, you know, not generic. Having a mentoring program um, is uh, is is very very critical. Just not releasing someone out into the uh, work environment. Say, here you go. You know there's your machine there you go or your maintenance guy here's your locks and there you go hopefully here's your locks and and there you go you know to partner them up with someone have a mentor you don't release them out there until they you know they've proven themselves over a period of time that yes they they do get it and they're signed off um on that so you know to really make sure uh that those employees understand that and then you know the the reinforcement piece you know observation going out there and interacting with the employees there's nothing better then you know, to, to see you know, what's going on in your workplace, especially when we're talking about how are these employees interacting with machines is going out there and interacting with the employees, going out with maintenance and looking, seeing what they're doing when they're working on the machine, when they're supporting uh, production, going to the operators, making sure you understand how they're interacting, You're observing them. Um, nothing, uh, nothing is, is better than that, actually going out there and seeing what's truly happening out there, um, out there on the floor and then the the last piece uh is sustainability uh management of change um another another common failure, but um you know do you have a process in place that is you know is uh including safety in any change process move add change you know anytime you're bringing something new um into the facility you're you're making changes. Um, to uh, to a, a piece of equipment, you know, things that could impact the safety or things that could impact the function of the job, the things that could impact the safeguarding. Definitely it could impact, you know, the lockout procedures if you're um, adding an energy source or whatever, uh, removing things that you might be doing. You have to have a very robust management of change process in place um, you know, to make sure that safety is captured. And you're going through, like, the job safety analysis process for the operator when things change. That that should start that process up again uh, to make sure that you're capturing everything. The periodic inspections, you know, reviewing, yes, your procedures, also reviewing your, your alternative procedures, you know, uh, the things that we talked about, you know, it should be just like a lockout procedure. You just can't do it once and forget about it. You need to have a review process where you're going out and uh, and making sure that these things still are are, are valid. Employee observations, I, I just talked about that. That's a continual um, continual thing, getting out there, making sure that uh, the employees are, are doing what they, they need to be doing, you know, providing that positive uh, reinforcement to them. The, the JSA is completed. As you start this process, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you're going to go out there, you're going to start identifying your tasks out there. You're going to do a justification study. You're going to start doing um, your JSAs and developing these alternative procedures. Start somewhere, you know, start with a department, right? Set a goal. And then track that, you know, hey, we're supposed to do 20 a month or 10 a month or whatever, track that, you know, uh, provide metrics on that, you know, and and, and make sure that you're uh, you're achieving uh, achieving your goals because it can easily go uh, by the wayside. You know, there's a lot of efforts that start and uh, and go away then through many of them. And then that the training and knowledge verification, that's an ongoing thing with uh, with uh, with safety, uh, making sure those operators is, as the onboarding um, and a continual thing. Toolbox talks um, anytime that you can uh, you can talk about this that, uh, about safety and these things, making sure that it's always uh, always top of mind uh, for for those uh, for those employees. All right, well, thank you very much for your time um, and uh, at this point uh, I'll hand it back over to uh, Kevin and uh, for some questions.
0: Okay, excellent, great job, Scott. Uh, no, thanks for your your insights and expertise, and certainly certainly very thorough um, yeah we'll have have a time for a few questions like you say. The first um does clearing a jam on a conveyor belt fall under this rule and require lockout tag out or alternative uh, excuse me alternative procedures?
1: Yeah, well, everything is dependent on the job and and the risk that uh that they're um, that they're exposed to. Um, so, each one has to be looked at as a separate basis. can that be yes so if they're if they 're looking at a at a jam, they have exclusive control over a a stop it 's part of uh, production you've got uh, you know jams or, or or line this is one section of it. The answer is it can be, but again, everyone has to be looked at separately so i can 't give you a definitive um, answer with that uh, but what you also have to think of is if you 're working on a on a conveyor and uh, there's a disconnect right there and just for because you want to, you know, it's going to, you know, save you a minute or 2. So you're, you're just going to hit the stop. You're shutting it down anyway. Right? So at this point, it's out of the, the production cycle. Um, you just don't want to put your lock on it. That's part of that justification study that doesn't pass the test on on, on lockout. So, you know, it, it, it just it, again, it depends, but you should always. Fall back on on lockout, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when it's just not feasible, you know, absolutely not for whatever reason. That's when you start looking at those uh, alternative protective measures, but everyone is a case by case basis that you have to look at
0: okay no and we'll, we'll get to a, a few more questions but wanted to wanted to remind folks um, that we also have that evaluation survey that we we mentioned and, and that we ask you to complete and it's we appreciate the feedback um, it's it's important because it'll help us improve on future webcasts um, we've've we've pushed it to the audience now if you don't see it uh, please do turn off your your pop-up blocker and you might also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of the screen so uh, with, with that we now go to the next question and that's what should an employee do if they run into a situation where full lockout can't be applied and an alternative method procedure does not exist?
1: That's a, a good question, and that uh, that happens a lot. And uh, you know, I think that that happens, you know, not necessarily from a uh, an operator standpoint, but sometimes. But it, it happens a lot with uh, with the maintenance guys. They run into a lot of different stuff out there. And, you know, you look at ocean. it's like, you got to lock out, you know, for, for everything. But, you know, some of the stuff that uh, that they're doing, sometimes it's, it's, it's not feasible. And you can't, you cannot, uh, you know, when you're doing your, uh, you know, putting your list together of all the jobs where you interact with, you can't come up with everything. There's stuff that pops up that, you know, they've never done uh, before you know, like I said, testing and positioning and, and inspecting and, and troubleshooting and a lot of different stuff that they're they're getting into where, you know, they might need power on, on the, you know, some portion of the machine um, or whatnot. Uh, so my answer, uh, you know, to that is when they, when it arises, that person, that maintenance uh, employee, whatever, whoever they are, they have to stop, you know, they cannot it's it's so common for them just to say you know what I can't do it so I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump in and, and and do this really quick they still ha- they have to be protected right they have to be protected from that hazardous energy it's not you know lockout applies they have to do you have to do your due diligence get the right people out there think through the job right now it might not be a full JSA with full team members and all that you know you you, you might be you know in a in a pinch you got to get something done you still have to go through that same That same process to determine, you know, how you're going to protect your employee in that specific situation. Right. And it has to be documented. Um, and and that's one of the biggest struggles that, uh, that you see out there is maintenance guys. They run into jams and they, they do what they, they do what they need to do to, uh, to get the job done. You know, they're not, you know, um, you know, they think it's the right thing. You know, they know that, the, you know, the company, it's push, push, push to, to get everything going. But when it comes down to it, it's all about, uh, you know, the employee safety. If it's another, um, you know, uh, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, you know, you, you have to do the right thing. But again, it, it's a case by case basis, but you have to take a look at what's going on and you have to put. You know the best protective measures that you can in place for whatever task that they uh, that they have to do and uh, the ultimate or the, the best alternative or the best non-alternative is lockout tag out right once you exhaust all efforts that you know you cannot bring it down to zero energy state and then you back down to can i lock portions um, of the machine out if something does have to be kept live for whatever situation then what are those protective measures right well how am i going to protect my employee? From exposure to the hazardous energy on whatever that energy source is.
0: On that same wavelength, uh, where should the alternative procedures be located?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I touched on that a little bit in the uh, in the in the presentation. Now, if you have a ton of them, you know, if, if an operator, you know, of course, uh, you know, if they're interacting with one, um, you know, safety device, you know, interlock gate, light curtain, whatever it is, as they're doing minor servicing. Uh, you know that can be posted there, you know, with uh with the operator. Um or nearby. So they have a workstation. With the where where their other whether other um SOPs are and, and, and whatever, they're they're common um work instructions that they have. You know, it just ne- it needs to be part of um part of what they do. Um from a, a maintenance uh standpoint, you know, again posting at the machine, but if you have, you know, a few, you, you're not gonna, you know, placard everything all over uh, your equipment but readily available to them if you anything that you can put into a um, The maintenance system, you know, the PM system, you know to make it, you know Right there readily when they have to go out and do a certain PM, right? Maybe it's uh, it will fall under alternative measure, you know, having those steps right there um, You know at the top of the list, uh, you know, I always, I recommend it, you know, building lockout procedures and that in there, too So, you know, step one is part of their job, you know, here's what you need to do. Um, and include that in there, you know, just not, you know, back in a, in a binder collecting dust that, that no one, uh, that no one looks at.
0: Uh, the next one, can you give examples of minor servicing for the plastic industry?
1: Uh, yeah, specifically, uh, you know, top of mind and minor servicing, I don't, I don't know, uh. You know any any types of uh, you know injection molding machines or, or things like that where they have to go in and, and, and adjust or or, or 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 nudge make small adjustments and things where they're they're interacting um, you know that operator interacting with uh, you know an interlock gate where um, they they open that gate and they're not allowed to you know go anywhere you know beyond that they have exclusive control over that to uh, align something or or uh, you know other things like that but minor um, minor things, you know, uh, I guess with that. So, I mean, that's just one that pops to come to mind.
0: Uh, you had spoken of, uh, 244.1, but, um, someone hadn't gotten the letter where could that be found?
1: Yeah. So I actually pulled it. It was the ASSC website. So they, the uh, I don't know if it's open, still open for comments or that's closed. Um, but I was able to uh, get it off the ASSC website and it is, uh, it was for purchase. Um, I believe I downloaded it. If you go to um, ASSC, uh, type in um, uh, Z244.1 and, uh, and download that, To uh, I mean, it's a great, um, great resource. They, they put a lot of effort into uh, the, the alternative procedure piece of it. And just a, a ton of detail. I mean, you know, someone could do a presentation, you know, just on that for, you know, a, a day. Um, really, really um, good detail. And also the, uh, the OSHA directive that I, that I talked about. That is, uh, it has been an absolute great resource. If you haven't seen it, when you go and you read through it, it's going to answer a lot, of, a lot of different questions, um, you know, around lockout, tagout. So it's a, it's a fantastic resource.
0: All right, this uh this will be our last question that concerns e-stops. Is it true that e-stops cannot be used as a sole lockout point as mentioned under energy isolating devices, but that an e-stop could be used in addition with the locking out of the main source?
1: That's correct. Um yeah, e-stops they're they're not considered uh, you know, a, a, an isolation point. And this is this is where we're talking about lockout tagout. Um, you know, when uh when it's required to be locked out, um, you know, it's uh uh, you know, they can fail. It's relying on control circuitry, uh, you know, things like that. When someone's in a machine, um, they could fail. So uh that's absolutely correct. That does uh, uh not considered an isolation device when uh we're talking about lockout tag out.
0: Okay. Well uh well no thank you, Scott. Unfortunately we've run out of time. Uh we're sorry that we're unable to get to each question, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speaker. Um, Once again, we hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on the screen. We really do value that feedback, again, for these future webinars. Uh, But that will conclude today's webinar uh, from Safety and Health Magazine. Would like to thank Scott Stone, everyone at Brady, and all those who listened in. Um, Thank you once again, and have a great day.